If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we want to look at verses 15 down through verse 30 in our time this morning. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 down to verse 30. And if you want to see a full-blown outline on it, it's in your bulletin. I'm not going to go through it exact. Well, I'll go through it, but I'm not going to mention all their points along the way. Do you like surprises? Kind of, kind of depends, I suppose, right? I mean, if it's a, if it's a good surprise, my wife, uh, through the years, has had two big birthday parties for me where she totally snowed me. I was not at all ready. I normally am not at a loss for words, and I walked in, and I was so shocked, I didn't know what to say, you know? And, and so they're nice surprises, right? But there's other times we're surprised when we get caught. And that's not as nice. It's part of life. One of the things that's kind of interesting to me when you come to the Gospel of Luke here in chapter 18 and 19, and James will be picking up with this story next week. I'll just be doing kind of the first section. He'll be picking up with several more stories. But you have a whole series of stories where followers of Jesus, or those at least hanging around Jesus, are surprised by Jesus. They think they kind of have it figured out, and Jesus says, no, 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 it's not exactly like that. And in this particular text, the question is, who can enter the kingdom? And for Jesus, the answer might surprise you. Look at what he says here in verse 15 of Luke chapter 18. Remember what's happened right before this. Jesus gives that parable of the publican, the tax collector, and the Pharisee. Remember that story he gives? And they go up to worship at the temple, and the guy you think is okay isn't okay, and the guy you think isn't okay is okay. And you're going like, well, that's a surprise. And Jesus comes out of that experience, and we get to actually see it lived out in the lives of several people, that same kind of surprise. So notice what happens here in verse 15. And they were bringing even their babies and their infants to him so that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they encouraged the children to come. Is that what your text says? They began rebuking them. Don't you know Jesus is busy? We got a lot of things on our plate. We don't have time for kids right now. Get out of here. Something like that. But Jesus called for them. Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. <laughs> do you think they were surprised? I mean, they're kind of like, we're doing our mission here, man. We're doing Jerusalem stuff or whatever. And we're going with Jesus and, and get these kids out. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. The kids you are pushing away are a picture of those who come into my kingdom. Really? What is it about children that make them an example coming into the kingdom. Isn't there a uh, simplicity to a child? 
They don't, they're not cluttered with all kinds of things. They simply depend and simply trust. And so the very ones that they're pushing away, Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want to come. Let them be with me. And they are an example for all of us about what it means to come. Isn't that the wonderful thing about the gospel? Is it about you performing and doing this and finally God saying, all right, Finkbeiner, you finally passed that limit. Come on in. I'd never reach it. And neither would you. No. It is a child who crawls up into the lap of his mother or father and simply rests. And just loves to be with them. Nothing put on. Nothing added. Just simple devotion and dependence and love on them, upon them. And Jesus says, guys, that's what it means. Another shocker is coming their way, though. A very, very different example in verse 18. Notice what the text says. And a certain ruler question him saying now honestly there have been others that have come to Christ back in chapter 10 a guy came to Christ to test him I don't sense that this guy is trying to test Jesus and I don't know what kind of ruler he is is he from the local synagogue part of the Sanhedrin I don't know but he's a religious leader with a fair amount of clout and he's got a lot of cash in the bank and in sincerity, I will assume, he comes to Jesus with a question. Because he has this mindset, a mindset of performance, a mindset of doing enough. So look at what he says. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see the problem there? See, for him, eternal life is gained not by simply resting and trusting, but doing enough, finding out what's not on your list, adding it to your list, and being accepted by God. Do people ever think that way in our day? It's like that Visa commercial. It's everywhere, isn't it? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life. I love the way Jesus goes after this. It's so brilliant. The more I read the Gospels, and the more I read what our Lord does, I always say to myself, man, that is so good. I wish I would have thought of that. Look at what he does. Verse 19, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's a really interesting question, statement, isn't it? And frankly, scholars are all over the page as to what exactly that means. So I'll give you my take. It's not always easy. I do think, among other things, he's saying there's two kinds of persons, if you will, in the world. There's God, who is perfectly good, and there's people who aren't. And by your question, you seem to be putting me over here. 
And I think Jesus is saying, and on that, you're right. But will you treat me like that if you think I'm really good? Do you see? So you think, God is good. You're right. You just called me good. Uh-huh. Now what? And then what Jesus does, he goes back to what we call the Ten Commandments. And he doesn't give us Ten Commandments. He gives us five here. And I want you to think about something. Why does Jesus give the commandments he gives at this point? I think it's really, really important to wrestle with this. Look what he says. You know the commandments. The guy knew the whole list, but Jesus just gives a kind of a truncated several of them. He says this. Do not commit adultery. I'm assuming that the guy was faithful to his wife. Do not murder. I'm assuming that this guy, you know, wasn't, there was no warrants out for his arrest. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Do you think that's true? Do you think he perfectly did that? Do you notice one of the commandments that's missing here? In the Ten Commandments, we have commandments, first of all, that deal with our relationship with God, right? You'll have no idol before me. You will serve me alone. It is all about me. That's where it all starts. And then this is how you'll treat your fellow man. And it's interesting to me, the one commandment that's missing on this relationship is you shall not covet things from others. And Jesus doesn't list that. Oh, he's going to get to it. <laughs> Jesus is a brilliant teacher. But he starts with some of these easier ones, at least from this guy's perspective, and he kind of looks at the list. He says, Check, 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 check. I've done all of those. But there's still something in my soul. I'm still unsettled. I've done that. And Jesus now is going to point out to this man where his sin actually lies. You know, everybody from birth worships. Do you know that? You say, well, I don't, I don't sing real well when I get together in here. I'm not a real good singer. You might not sing real loud, but you're a worshiper. And when you worship something other than the true and living God, you know the term that the Bible uses for that? It's idolatry. All humans are born idolaters. We worship the wrong thing. Sometimes what we do is we hold on to what is ours and what we want and we will not let it go. We will carry it around with us. It will be precious. It is the thing that gives us purpose and meaning and hope and security and all kinds of significance and whatever else we want. And we worship it and we hold it and nobody will get it away from us. And even if we want to be religious, we will hold that nonetheless because that's what's most important to us. We are all worshipers. And Jesus wants this man to begin to pry open that hand and see that he's an idolater. So notice what he says. It's, it's so good. 
And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess, distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Marissa, I suppose if, if, if he was here, if Jesus was here this morning, he would say, give it all to Samaritan's purse, or something like that, right? Everything you got, empty your bank account, sell everything you got, your car, your house, everything, all goes to Samaritan's purse. Now, I want you to think about something. Does Jesus say that to everybody that, has, that wants to come, to come to him and become his follower? Does he say everybody, if you're going to be mine, you got to sell everything. If that was the case, none of us would be saved. Would we? I mean, I'm assuming you have something. How'd you get here? A bike? Well, they can't have that either. <laughs> I walked. Okay, all right. More shoes? All right, whatever. But, you know, I mean, we go, give me enough time, I can work it with you too. And in the very next chapter, you will have a rich man come to faith in Christ. And he's never called to give up everything he has. He willingly gives up half of what he has, doesn't he? His name is Zacchaeus. But Jesus is saying, you're an idolater. You've lived your life coveting. And you've got to realize there's only room to worship one in life. So open up your hand and come follow me. What does he do? Don't you wish he would have opened his hand? You know, Mark's account tells us when Jesus says this, Jesus loves him. We don't read that in Luke. Mark mentions that. But here's the point. Jesus is just not saying, hey, get rid of a buddy and come follow me, whatever. Jesus is saying, do you not see that you are an idolater? You think it's a list and one more thing. Forget the list. Open the hand. See the idolatry. Put it aside. And learn the joy and freedom and wonder that comes from following me. But he would not. Look at verse 23. When he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, all I want is something else on my list to show that I can go to heaven. Jesus says, it doesn't work like that. And he says, then I'm going to take my idol and go home. And that's what he does. Isn't that sad? And the disciples are looking at all this and saying, oh, yes, we've got it. This makes all the sense in the world. Is that what they say? Not exactly. <laughs> These guys. Oh, you have, you have to love them because they're so much like us. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I have to tell you, I've heard this interpreted two ways, both of which, uh, there's several ways, two of the ways are just wrong. But I'll tell you what some people have said. Some people have said, well, you know, 
Back at this time in Jerusalem, there was the Jerusalem gate, but there was a real small gate called the needle gate. And if you kicked and pushed and prodded and everything long enough, you might be able to jam that camel through that, the eye of that needle. So it's harder for a rich man. I mean, it's harder to get a camel through the, 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 the gate, but you can, if you push hard enough, get it through. You know what the needle is? It's a needle. And others have said, well, then maybe it's not really a camel. Maybe it's a camel rope. It's a thicker rope. But you get that needle and you do it enough. Maybe you, know, maybe you, could, maybe you can kind of get it through, folks. It's a camel. <laughs> it's not a camel rope and it's not a needle gate. It's a camel and it's the eye of a needle. That's what it is. In Babylon, the Jews living there in what they later, later called the Babylonian Talmud, they used this exact same image. And when they wanted to talk about something that was impossible, they didn't talk about getting a camel through the eye of a needle. They talked about getting an elephant through the eye of a needle. You see, it's just in their day, it's the way to say it ain't possible. It can't happen. So when Jesus says it's harder and that thing is impossible, then like, and the disciples were like, wow. Because in the Jewish world, if you were religious and you were wealthy, that had to mean that God was for you. It had to. A good person who has money must be going to heaven. Right? Wrong. Look what they said. And they who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? Do you mean if a religious person appears to be blessed by God with his riches, if he doesn't get in, then there's not hope for any of us. Look what Jesus says. But he said, the things impossible with men are possible with God. So, there is a way then, Christ. Yeah. But it's not based on your performance. Not based on what you're going to do. Not putting something else on your list. You know what it's about? It's about the God of the universe who works in your heart and shows you that you're an idolater. Now, you may be a really upstanding idolater. <laughs> but you got something in your grasp. It's what you live for. It's what you'd never give up. Because it gives you security, significance, power, whatever. God comes along and says, you don't need that. Let it go. Come to me. My son has died for you. He alone can save you. And he alone can change you. Do you see? It is impossible with man. For the rich, for the commoner, for everybody. Whoever, which is all of us, grasps. So let it go.
and come. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't say one thing you lack. He, says one, he doesn't say two things you lack. He says one thing. Because it's all part of the same package, isn't it? When you give up this, you, you then worship him. You come to him. So it's, it's not, there's two steps. There's just one. Realize this and come to him. It's all together. You've got to love Peter at this time. Peter, you know, Peter's sitting there processing this whole thing. Well, Peter said, but we have left our homes and, and followed you. We've left all our stuff. At least sort of. I mean, I go back and check on it from time to time, but, but nonetheless. <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder if at this point Jesus is smiling at Peter. You, you know, just, you know, I mean, I just, Jesus must have had a huge sense of humor working with these guys. I mean, at this point when Peter said that, Jesus must be going, Peter, dear Peter, I, I love you, Peter. <laughs> and he said to him, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who shall not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Peter, with all your confusion and uncertainty, with all your mistakes, and you come to me and you don't even fully understand who I am, but you do know this. You alone have the words of eternal life, as John 6 says, and I'm not going anywhere because it's all about you, Jesus. He had that one down, didn't he? With all of his problems, Peter said, I believe you're Messiah. And I followed you. <laughs> not real well all the time followed him, but nonetheless. And Jesus, who is incredibly gracious, said, Peter, because that's the work that I've done in your heart. God has saved you. And all the things you lose, because I have to have security, he says, I'll give you more. I'll give you everything you need in this life and ultimately in the life to come. You, why would you worship something? It's a broken cistern. As Jeremiah says, come to the springs of living water. Let that go. It's just all about me. You know, the next section in verse 31, James will probably be picking up here next week, but I was going to take these glasses off. I realized I can't do that because I got this thing on. So I got to stop that. Um, in the very next passage, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going, to be, I'm going to suffer and be rejected and die and resurrect. And they all don't have a clue what he's talking about. In the very next section. How many times has he told them these things? Because it doesn't quite fit in the way that they're thinking Messiah is supposed to be doing stuff. But you know, I thought about this. If Peter, with all of his foibles, a man who doesn't even fully understand that the God-man will die for our sins, he will resurrect, he will ascend, he will rule. I mean, he's really fuzzy on that stuff, isn't he, at best? We know so much more, don't we? We've read the end of the, uh, the, end of the book. We know where it's all going. How could you be here today and say, 
I'm just looking for a Christianity that adds stuff to my list. Forget it. Forget it. You need to realize you're an idolater and let it go. Quit worshiping that. You come to the one who will save you because of the death of his son on the cross. Forgive all your sins. Change your life. Bring you into his family. Give you a church family. And give you heaven. Stop it. Be like a child. Crawl up into his lap. Uncluttered. And just cling to him. That's a great surprise, actually. Because it means if you let God do his work in your heart, he can make it a reality. Do you say? You say, Doug, I'm already a forgiven follower of Christ. I, re I realize the vast majority in here, that's, that's where we are. I praise the Lord. And I guess I would just say this then. When I read this passage, do we sometimes slip back and again grab things? We who should know better and say, you know what? Maybe the money thing is what I need to make life work. The problem with this, these chapel people is they're always talking about giving. Do we do that sometimes? Do we grab onto relationships? We grab onto things. We grab onto prestige. We grab onto power. We grab onto, grab on. And, and, and this text says, look, the Christian walk is, should be an uncluttered, childlike devotion to Christ. Very simple. Follow me. And we know more than Peter because we've seen the end of the story. We're going to be coming to communion. What a glorious time to say in an uncluttered way, just follow the one that you love. That's why we're here. That's why we encourage one another. That's why we sing praises to God because it's all about him. Father, Father,